Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Lockdown Guardians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, and I want to thank you for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen today and every day, free and available on all podcasting platforms, apps, services. If it's a place you can get a podcast, we are there. Uh, as previously mentioned, my name is Jeff Ellis. I have been hosting this podcast since its inception. One of the OGs, as it were, of the Lockdown MLB Network. I was talking with my supervisor on Friday about some ideas for the lockout. I was throwing a lot of things out there. I realized that I need to get on top of my draft content. I need to contact some of the people I've talked about is coming on and, uh, you know, interviewing some folks. I also talked about the idea of a, uh, uh, you know, what an expansion draft would look like. Just some things like that, some fun angles. I was talking with Jeff. Uh, we have a lot of Jeffs on network, I have to be honest. I was talking with Jeff over at the Locked On Reds, who we had that fun crossover during the summer. And... What was mildly humorous, I guess, at least for me in this situation, was to realize that uh, I had been here before him slightly. And then Nash Walker of Locked On Twins tweeting out uh, how his second year here, and he wanted to thank me uh, for being one of the people who brought him along, as well as Brandon Warner. I had reached out to Brandon, and then Brandon had uh, connected me with Nash. At the time, I was just trying to fill in openings. I was reaching out to people I knew all over. Uh, the baseball spheres because my time at scout taught me how valuable it is to have a full network and when we're all working together what great things could be accomplished that way and again you know I look back (laughs) is it sad that I look back with a fond remembrance of that those like not I guess mid 2010s you know it's only like five six years ago it's like that was when uh, my sports stuff was at its peak that's back when I was uh, in Ohio I've talked about many times shout out to Ritman uh, it was the best job I ever had. I missed that job all the time. And yeah, it was just kind of a, a nice spot slash period in my life. Uh, I, I adore having my children. They they are uh, absolutely wonderful. And I, I really enjoy being a dad. So they are what uh, <laughs> makes all the transitions in life better. But uh, I do miss that time period from more of a work perspective. Uh, but enough about me. Let's you Now, if you're someone like me, though, and MLB Trade Rumors is a daily stop, a place you go just out of habit. You might have gone there and been mildly shocked to see there's been a lot of signings. And if you're a fan out there who didn't know about this, you might be even more shocked now, like, wait, what's happening? Uh, so the way this works right now is uh, you the teams can sign minor league free agents. They just can't give them an invite to camp. Uh, so, you know, for instance... Right before, I mean, this is technically after the lockout, uh, so I'm not sure exactly. I guess technically because the invite was finalized before the transaction freeze went into effect. Like the Brewers have signed David Dahl to a minor league contract and invited him to camp. Uh, I spent a lot of time talking about, over the years, I spent much time talking about John Duplantier of the Diamondbacks, who wanted the Indians to camp on when he got released mid-year. He signed a deal with the Giants. It'll probably involve a minor league invite. But right now they can't, or a uh, spring training invite, they can't extend a spring training invite because it's only got to be a minor league section. For instance, Cam Hill, who elected free agency when the Indians took him off their 40-man, uh, if he were to sign with a team, he could sign a minor league free agent now. Anyone who is a free agent who's willing to take a minor league contract could sign right now. Uh, I mean, if Carlos Correa wanted, he could take a minor league contract and sign right now. I don't think that's going to happen, but that is how signings happen. That is how stuff still occurs. I thought I would circle back to a few other things, just names I've brought up repeatedly on the podcast or relating to stuff like that. 
Say uh, Suzuki, who I've mentioned many times on the podcast, the general thought right now is the Yankees, Blue Jays, and Red Sox are all hot on him. I don't get the Blue Jays and the Yankees. Like Those are two teams that don't necessarily need an outfielder. I understand center field could always use help, but uh, you just gave Springer a ton of money if you're the Blue Jays. You already have too many outfielders, so Tasker Gonzalez is uh, your DH. So yeah, I don't necessarily with the Blue Jays, and I realize I said Tasker Gonzalez, I meant to say Tasker Hernandez. But they got Guriel. I mean, Gurchik, he had a better season last year. But again, that's more of a situation where if they're going to play him, they might as well pay him. So unless this is in some hope of getting a deal that will net them a third baseman, uh, I, I don't see why it makes a ton of sense there. In terms of the Yankees, a team that seems afraid of spending, they need a shortstop in the worst possible way. Aaron Hicks, if he can stay healthy, is passable there. You've got Gallo, unless they look to trade him. Stanton and Judge. Uh, I mean, they've got players for days out there. I, I don't see the fit. Boston, it's a little more logical. They made the weird trade of getting two prospects and Jackie Bradley Jr. back. For everyone who tells me that like Bradley Zimmer has no trade value, like Jackie Bradley Jr. and his expensive contract after the year he had uh, was still tradable for a guy who hit 30 home runs. Center field is really hard to fill. And you look at Boston... They have Yaron Duran in left field, who's probably more of a defensive center field type. They got Jackie Bradley Jr. And then uh, Verdugo, who could also be a center fielder. Right now, that's a team with three center fielders. Seiya Suzuki makes sense from the point of view of them just, frankly, needing an outfielder. I mean, they have one player that looks like an above-average regular out there uh, in Verdugo, and I don't know really how much you trust the other pieces. Uh, so yeah, they're, at least with Boston, it makes a little more sense. Uh, there and then one other name. I feel like for a very long time in many many trades, I've included the name DJ Peters, and the Dodgers let him go. He went to the Rangers. He didn't really get an opportunity. I'm very curious to see how he does. He's going to Korea, and I think he could be one of those guys who could have an Eric Thames like career. Uh, Peters is huge. He's got big power. He's going to go to another league, and I think he will light it up in Korea. Uh, I, with his size and youth, I, he, I mean, he was a decent athlete. He came up as a center fielder. I'm very curious to see what happens to him long term uh, over there. I think it's a, I think it's a good move for him. It is a chance to get at bats, which is the one thing uh, he could not get with the Dodgers, and it's the one thing he uh, didn't get with the Rangers. So I thought those were some interesting bits of pieces and news. And if you ever seen like the Indian Twitter announce that they've signed someone, well, I mean that's going to be why you're allowed to to do those minor league invitees uh we're also just going to see i think a lot of news for players you know we, we talked about dj peters they're going to be guys who choose to sign over in korea and japan right now some players who are kind of on the fringes we're also going to see some of those top talents from over there um not come over there, there's a few players who have chosen already to uh, stay over in japan or korea rather than come across and uh you know you get it it's who knows who wants to jump into uncertainty right now but uh yeah that was our kind of our first point that's the you will see signings you will see that info we're going to come back uh we're going to do for our segments today i'm going to spend some time talking about the horrible trade offer that made its way through indians twitter we'll talk about the hall of fame announcees uh and then from there in segment three depending on how long those two take uh, we're either going to talk more failed prospects or we'll continue with the Hall of Fame talk. But uh, first, we're going to take a break and then come back and uh, talk about bad Twitter. Let's lead off by letting me tell you 
get your TV together, folks. Does this sound familiar? You got one device that lets you catch your game live, another lets you stream your favorite shows, watch some sports highlights on your phone, you've got your neighbor's best friend log in for all that good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple plan to get all of your entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. Best part, there's no annual contract, so get rid of the clutter and confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. So I'm not going to get into like 100 tweets I got this weekend. I'm honestly, I get home on the weekend and unless things are going down, I'm not hopping on Twitter. So <laughs> I'm sorry if you sent me a message. Uh, this was a, I, the Hiram was at it and explained to me why the Indians should go with a six-man rotation or why there's all of these, uh, uh, you know, uh, how Yu Chen Chang is going to hit 30 bombs this year or giving me information that came from a podcast that he can't fully back up. So, yeah, I love Hiram's, love his energy, but I mean, I think there's also a point too, where if if you're being honest, dude, what is the hit percentage? Like you think everyone's going to work out. Um, and I, you know, I, I was like the biggest Yu Chen Chang guy for a long time. I put him like third in the system, uh, at one point, cause I believed in his ability to be an average defender with 25 plus home runs. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm still there. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not still there, let's be honest. I think he can be a useful utility infielder, but I was always the aggressively high one with the 25 home runs, and now you're, you're thinking 30. Because, uh, again, I think at a very basic level, rather than I know a lot of people, some who listen to the show, uh, Nunzio had a great uh, response to my tweet or my Friday show about an old proverb like when two jungles fight or when two jungles when two elephants fight is the grass that loses in response to you know what's happening with the players and the owners and i agree with that but here's my thing the indians rotation we have bieber great hopefully he should be you know solid savale who has never stayed healthy an entire season in the majors or the minors Plesak, who's in, uh, probably a back-end starter let's be honest Quantrell, who was excellent, and we're hoping he stays and does what he did, but uh, there is always danger with those sinker ball types. That's just the truth of the matter, but I'm not as worried about him. Tristan McKenzie, who stayed inconsistent the entire year, has never found, has been consistently inconsistent. We'll see if he can keep it together. That's your core five. (laughs) You have Eli Morgan, who's your sixth, who averaged almost two home runs a game. Like I've talked about, the Indians would rather keep it in the air, but he... He makes Josh Tomlin seem, you know, home run avoidant. Uh, he's an interesting arm, but he is not someone that I'm, like, super comfortable with as that fifth spot. And, I mean, I'm the head of the Cody Morris fan club. If you listen to the show from the beginning, I've been calling him a helium guy since, like, no one else was even discussing him. To consider him a starter when he's barely pitched and, you know, above double A for next year, like, that's that's not how this team operates. It's all well and good to be like, oh, this guy's ready to go. They don't They don't do that. That's not what the Cleveland Indians do. Cody Morris isn't going to be up till midseason. The, the Indians, plain and simply, are not trading pitching. And if you believe in their depth of starters, it's like, I love Cantillo and I love Adam Scott. I think they're really potentially interesting guys. But if the Indians didn't protect them with some of the other guys they protected, they clearly don't think they have a future with this team. They just don't. I mean, there's no other way around that. 
So that's not even the bad Twitter of it all. That's just me responding to seeing I have 100 messages on Sunday and being like, oh, okay, I'm never getting through this pile. Uh, the bad Twitter was, I think it was Thursday night, it ran rampant, and I didn't talk about it on the show, but a Yankees writer uh, sent out this horrible tweet. They're like, Shane Bieber and Jose Ramirez to the Yankees for like the top two prospect. Basically what he did is he used the trade value machine, and he thought he was so brilliant because he put together this deal that essentially was like the sixth highest valued Yankees. Uh, or maybe the eight high no, it was the eight highest valued Yankees for two Indians. And then it was listed a moderate overpay. Now, a moderate overpay where the gap between the two in the affiliate dollar, dollars was $30 million. Uh, giving an example, Aaron Judge is worth $40 million. So this was almost the value of Aaron Judge, a gap in value. And the reason he did that was because uh, if he had added in the players it took to make up that $30 million, the deal would get rejected because it'd be too, you can't do a 10 for two. And that's what it would have had to have been. Uh, so yeah, it's and we all know the, the Indians never take even an even value trade in these so it was it was ridiculous uh i mean that guy had a night i think he he was super defensive but it was just an awful crappy trade uh there's no way around it like everyone is out there trying to get jose ramirez that's expected shane bieber it was like uh, oh yankees writer you think the world is owed to you i lived in new york for a few years and there are some okay yankees fans but there is also a lot who just think they are owed everything like that and when you get paid to do it for a job, I was just kind of like, wow, you don't even understand how this thing works. Like, leaving $30 million in value off the... That, like I said, that's the equivalent. To make that up, the Yankees would have to include $30 million in cash. Yeah, do we think they're going to do that? Do we think that's legal? No. So it was, on all levels, it was just the worst trade. It made its rounds. Um, but it was just disingenuous from the fact that that guy, I know he tried to make it a completely even trade, and it got rejected because it's a trade that can't just doesn't happen. Like it's a type of trade that does not work. Uh, too many parts for too many parts. And instead, he uh, he did the closest he could come and still get it approved, even with it being considered a moderate overpay by the Indians, uh, which is actually a pretty massive overpay when it is, like I said, nearly the value of Aaron, three quarters of Aaron Judge's value to give. Uh, and the reason he didn't include Aaron Judge is a well, I don't think he would have, and b. Uh, they didn't allow you to trade Aaron Judge in the simulator. Uh, so let's see, where are the other ones? I, I got reached out to by Lockdown Mets. I don't know if I'm going to cross over with him or not. Um, he, A, it's really hard right now because I have two children that aren't sleeping. And B, he wanted to do a trade talk with Jose Ramirez and I like we did with Lindor. And I just had to be like, I, I think it's a 0% chance they trade Jose Ramirez. So I'm not sure what the upside is in the discussion because... A, I don't think they're going to trade him, and B, the Mets don't have pieces. Like, they, they don't. Like, the Indians aren't going to want J.D. Davis when he's that close to arbitration for, you know, uh, for Jose Ramirez. They don't want Dom Smith coming off a, a really bad year. Uh, it's like, who are you going to offer? Brandon Nimmo, who's a free agent to be? Their minor league prospect system is very weak right now with the New York Mets. If I were just to go and pull up their, like, roster resource page, I, I, there's, like... Bats and Matthew Allen, I don't know how either of them are currently received. You know, they don't even have, like, now it's the offseason. They can't even trade their top prospect because, you know, Kumar Rocker wasn't signed. So it's, uh, I mean, Francisco Alvarez is the big catching prospect. The Indians would like him, but he's an A-ball guy far away. Brett Batty is interesting. Ronnie Mauricio is an Indians type. Matt Allen as well. Um, But, again, Allen is a far away type and then the big issue with a lot of these guys is plain and simply that uh 
the 40-man crunch. Like, if you're going to get multiple pieces for Jose Ramirez, you need some assets that are very far away because they the Indians are crunched. And that's part of the reason I don't see a Jose Ramirez trade happening this offseason. Now, it's not going to get any better. Uh, if I pull up the tweet from the Mad Thinker, just talking about his, like, initial list of who's available for next season, like, it's it's ugly. And it's just going to keep getting uglier because they've done a good job evaluating talent. Um, uh, let's see, the, the list of guys you have... Ethan Hankins, Bo Naylor, uh, Miklo Jack will probably add it, Xavier Curry, Peyton Battenfield, Will Gaddis, Will Brennan, Lenny Torres, Angel Martinez, Junior San Quentin. That's all from the Mad Thinker. Uh, so it's the, the crunch is real, and they're just not looking to do like four dudes at once because the problem right now, if they get like three guys who need to be added to their roster, or even two, then you need to have two to three guys coming off, and that, that's an issue. Like you have to balance it out. Um, and I don't know the overall trade valuation. And like I said, with the Mets, I I don't see a natural fit. I just don't. Um, and I don't see a natural fit with most teams. I think with the rebrand and everything else, um, there's a legitimate chance they might try to re-sign him. I think this is the first, you know, if you listen to this podcast, or you followed me for the better part of a decade. I mean, in Lindor, the minute Lindor hit arbitration, I let everyone know he's not re-signing, he's gone. Like, I've been very much a realist in that way, way in front of the curb. And I think there's a chance with Jose. And then I think in general, um, you know, they're not going to look to sell when they're in the midst of this rebrand. He might get sold midseason. I think they probably just wait till the offseason. Um, the the bigger thing is like with draft pick compensation going away, uh, potentially and likely, there's there's not uh, there's not added value. I don't you know getting him for the full season. I feel like sometimes, like, one of the advantages is, hey, at least if he walks, we get something. Like, that's going to go away. That's going to affect valuation on players. So with this rebrand happening, I think they're going to play it out with him to the deadline. Could he get flipped at the deadline? Absolutely, but I don't see him getting flipped before the deadline. We didn't get to talk about Hall of Fame yet, so we'll come back and talk about that in segment three of the show. So make sure to tune in. You'll get to hear about at least one former Indian slash Guardian. So as I've mentioned before, I love Bilt Bar. I did do my order. I got my, uh, I have not tried the uh, white chocolate cheesecake uh, that is currently uh, one of the items that they had on sale on Cyber Monday. Caramel Almond Delight. That is one with nuts, but I like that. Uh, right now, the specialties, they currently have Paranormal Pumpkin and Blueberry Muffin are still on sale. And guess what? They just added Caramel Macchiato to their flavors to try. Uh Coconut brownie chunk, always a favorite. I believe the winner of our Sweet or sweet 64, I think is what we called it, tournament uh, is still available. There's so many good things right now. And when you go to BuiltBar.com, uh, you want to use that promo code LOCK15. That's what I use. That's going to save you 15% on your order. Like I said, there's white chocolate cheesecake, caramel almond delight, caramel macchiato, coconut brownie chunk, blueberry muffin. So if you do blueberry mumpkin, muffin or paranormal pumpkin, uh, you get the sale, plus you get that extra 15% off. So, you, you know, if those sound good to you, now is the time. Go check out BuiltBar.com for yourself. You can't go wrong. I keep ordering because it is a product I love. It is a product I eat. It is a product that is a daily part of my life, especially on those lunch breaks where I don't have much time. I often get in there. You know, my lunch break is technically from a 30 to a 15, but I honestly get there. It's like a 40 to a 10. And then there's something going on, and i got to respond to emails, and I'm busy, and it's perfect for that busy lunch. Go check out Bar today. Make sure to use the promo code LOCK15. Again, it is a product I buy. It is a product I use. It is a product I believe in. So we have this Hall of Fame uh, announcement, and it's, it's a good thing. 
Uh, it's always kind of the annoyance for me though, of like people who don't, who should have been in, who don't get to see themselves in. Like, like I, that's what I hate. That's, that's just for me what I hate. So we have a big list. Uh, Minnie Minoso, uh, Tony Olivier, Buck O'Neill, Bud Fowler, Gil Hodges, Jim Cat. And then I just closed Minoso when I wanted to talk about him. So, you know, we talked about Minoso. His career in Cleveland was not super long. It was four years, but it's still uh, 314 games. He debuted with Cleveland. That's where he came up, uh, was with the Indians in tw- as a 23-year-old. Uh, he was a guy, like the Indians, uh, I mean, they made a series of bad trades involving him. 53.8 war. Uh, you know, this guy just, he was a stat compiler. 195 home runs, 848 career OPS. How many times? I mean, he was an all-star many, many times. He was just, he was a top player. Gold Glover repeatedly. Gold Glove. Or, yes. Yeah. Didn't want to make sure I said it right. Uh, Trade from the Indians to the White Sox. Indians reacquired him in 58. And then they trade him back to the White Sox in 60. Uh, in terms of those trades, you know, we, we spent a whole show talking about Minoso. And then when he got sent out, the Indians, uh, the Indians got the... Uh, Lou Brissy, and they sent Ray Murray, Sam Zoldak, and Minnie Minoso out. Lou Brissy was not good. This was like a really bad trade just in general. Uh, he would pitch two years. I, I mean, his 8.7 career war as a starter, a 28-year-old who after age 29 would never pitch in the big leagues again. Uh, the Indians then shifted shift uh, to reacquire him, shipped out early win and Al Smith, uh, Smith was, I mean, he had been really good in 55 with the Indians. He, he finished top three in the MVP. Uh, he did have some solid years with the White Sox in terms of win. He would still go on to be an all-star for like three more years, including winning a Cy Young uh, with the White Sox. And then he would pitch six more years in total with them. So they get Minosa and he's solid, but they traded out a, a solid and a, a great pitcher for for solid, and then when they send him back, uh, they get some mediocre pieces and Norm Cash, who they don't hold on to, who they literally give away um, like less than a month later to the um, to the Detroit Tigers, helping build that dynasty. Someone knows this is well earned, well deserved. He broke a lot of barriers. He was a excellent defender, a feared hitter, a great player. Great to see him in uh, Tony Olivier. I know I butchered that. You know, he came in and won the Rookie of the Year and nearly won the MVP. He's a 25-year-old with the Twins. Uh, and that's the thing. You look at someone like him, I mean, from 25 through age 32, a guy was an all-star every year, finished top 10 in the MVP, finished top 20, we'll say, in the MVP every year, uh, was never a big home run guy, led the league in doubles and hits many times, had kind of a traditional aging curve and kind of slowed down after age 32, since he didn't debut till age 25, he didn't have quite the huge side of things uh, as some of the other players. But at his time, I mean, eight-time All-Star, three-time batting champion, uh, he makes sense. Buck O'Neill. I, so Buck O'Neill, it's, he is in because of what he did as a Negro Leaguer. I mean, he was just Kansas City Monarchs for his entire career. And the data we have is sparse and limited, and the data doesn't necessarily look great. Let's be honest there. But at the same time, that's where you have to rely on like the stories. And that's where you have to rely on 
people talking, what they tell you about evaluation. But I mean, Buck O'Neill was by all rights, a great, great player. And what was probably the better league, let's be honest. But Valor is another one. I mean, you literally have no data on him. Uh, so you're letting him in uh, based on what he had done. I, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. He played, he was born in 1858 and he died in 1913. So Bud Fowler is someone where uh, just data in general is limited. So for him to be included uh, is because of his significance to the game. And, you know, he is the earliest known African-American player of organized baseball. Uh, Negro League debut with the Page Fence Giants, appeared uh, with the Cuban Giants, uh, played for Newcastle, which was an all-white team. So we don't have a lot on Bud Fowler, but, I mean, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, he was playing in a pro baseball league as an African-American. That's kind of amazing, just in and of itself. Jim Cat, uh, it's almost amazing he didn't pitch with the Indians as it felt like he pitched for every other team in the Midwest. Uh, and, you know, uh, you look at his overall, at least in his case, he's still alive, 83 years of age, good on him. And, I mean, the data there is he pitched a lot of games. Uh, that's just the truth of the matter. And he had 283 wins. And it's kind of weird in a way that, like, being 17 wins short of 300 kept him out. When, like, 300 is, like, an automatic way in for so many others. Yeah, he just had those, and he was only, I think it's three-time All-Star, 16-time Gold Glove winner, uh, because he wasn't an All-Star a lot. And then Gil Hodges, the last inductee, he was a central part of those great Brooklyn teams. Uh, again, you know the, the home run numbers, 370 home runs when you look at the era. He missed some of his developmental time, you know, serving in uh, World War II, but essentially that was his age, like 21 22 year stuff he had been in brooklyn there's a chance he would have been up quicker if that had happened who's to say but again let's look at the numbers uh, eight-time all-star three-time gold glove two-time world series champion you know he's a he's one of the like in this entire class to me he's the most questionable just because i look at jim cat it's he's got all the wins and wins are a junk stat but he also pitched for a long time brought a lot of value what buck o'neill did for the game um as you know we can't really judge his playing time but just his you know everything he did uh bud fowler and what he brought Mini minoso tony olivier Gil hodges is just kind of the odd one where he he might be that guy who is more the hall of very good instead of the you know the hall of fame uh and there's maybe there's someone else if you disagree with me let me know explain to me how i'm missing on gil hodges i i see like i said i see a fred mcgriff of his era and maybe you feel like yes fred mcgriff should be in as well um but that that's what i see here i i see kind of that uh instead of the overriding singular greatness now i will say one of the crazy things with gil hodges is over his 16 seasons he played 64 games at catcher 32 in third base uh played some right field some second base some center mostly a first baseman but he he got to play some spots uh, other than that, throughout his career, catcher being the the weirdest one to me, uh, just looking at his list. But I, you know, I think it's important. It's good to go back, it, looking at his Hall of Fame statistics, like the on Baseball Reference, the black ink, the gray ink, the Hall of Fame monitor, the Hall of Fame standards. Like he just doesn't match up. According to Jaws, he's like the 40th best first baseman ever. 
Again, that doesn't quite match up. Norm Cash, George Foster, who we talked about recently on the show, Tino Martinez, Jack Clark, Edwin Encarnacion are his uh, five most common comps throughout his career. And yeah, I was right. I was looking at his, when he went from the, I had to point this out at least, in 63 when the Mets traded him away, they got former uh, Cleveland uh, ball player Jim Pirasol in that deal. Uh, in 1963 when he was shipped out. Now he would, at that point, he was basically end of the line. So it's, it's not the the biggest, uh, it was probably a smart trade. But yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I like looking at these players. I like digging into history. Tell me what you think, what you'd like to hear, what you'd like to know more about. Uh, I am always looking for more ideas. You know, we're going to, of course, spend some time on the draft history. And this year we're going to go through and, do a lot. There's so much to cover. Like I said, I still got prospects that missed. So that's going to be tomorrow's show. I'm finally going to pull up in my reading list and talk about, you know, Nick Weglars and Jason Knapp and Clint Frazier and Brady Aiken. And please listen. I know <laughs> those names might make you want to turn off already. Make sure to tune in and hear uh, about that and more on the Lockdown Guardians podcast. Thank you all for listening. Remember to rate and review, download daily. Thank you for making it your first listen every day, free and available on all podcasting platforms. And as we say now, Go, go, Guardians, go.